Anyway, we're here. I'm glad to see all of you here this morning uh, as we continue uh, talking through our series here on parables, the parables of Jesus. Uh, I don't know how your week went. Hopefully you had a good week. Uh, I know everybody has has challenges and things that go on. Um, I had a, a sort of a, just share a little interesting story um, from our week uh, on Tuesday. Our our ten year old came to us and was like, "I got some spots on my legs." And we were like, "Spots? Like what do you mean?" And he showed us, and we were like, "That's uh, definitely spots." And we were like, "Anywhere else?" And it was on his back and on his chest, and we were like, "Hmm, that looks like chicken box." And we were like, "Well, that's strange. You were vaccinated for that." <laughs> and so my wife was like, "Hmm, how many children do we have?" Okay, next child, come over here. <laughs> Let's see, do you have any spots on you? Sure enough, the next child had spots on him or her, whichever one was next. And then she said, hmm. She called them over one by one, and all five of them, except for the little baby, right? So five of six had these spots to varying different degrees. And we were like, this is really strange. They all were vaccinated for chicken pox. And we don't know anybody who's had chicken pox, but... She called the doctor, and the doctor said, well, bring him in, and we'll confirm it, but yes, you can get chicken pox even if you have been vaccinated. We were like, great, fantastic, right? And then none of them had any fever or any other kind of symptoms you might associate. I don't know, who, who's had chicken pox? I know I have. I was about their age, right? And it was like not a particularly pleasant experience. And we were like, great, this is going to make for an interesting week. And they said, well, come on in tomorrow, and they got us an appointment, and so I took them in. <laughs> Um, I took the 10-year-old in, just, we don't need five appointments, just one, just tell us, is this chicken box or not? So we took him in there, and the doctor's like, starts asking questions, was there a fever, or the rash, or other things, or this, and no, 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 no. She goes, have you taken the kids to a hot tub recently? And I was like, yes. <laughs> Last Sunday, we went over to Tim and Julie Cavanaugh's apartment, her lunch, and they were like, let's take the kids down to the pool. So we went down to the pool, and the kids are like, the hot tub! And so they went in the hot tub. Five of the six kids, we obviously didn't take the little baby. And she goes, ah, yes, this is a condition called hot tub folliculitis. And I was like, follicule, what? Which apparently is a rash that comes from a bacteria that lives in particularly not clean hot tubs. She said, don't worry, there's no treatment, it'll go away, it's not contagious. And we were like, whew. We were like... Ooh, you start thinking about hot tubs, this is gross, right? Yuck. So, yeah. She was like, did you get in the hot tub too? I was like, no, and I'm glad. <laughs> so that was kind of a, a momentary scare, I don't know, in our week, but something that was going on. Um, so, just a little review here. Well, why don't I pray, and then we'll we'll jump into talking about this. Yeah. Yeah, God, thank you that you... you uh, Walk with us and uh, you walk beside us through the, the ups and downs of our life and our week and the things that we have going on and from the big things to the little things. God, I, I think about, I've heard people say in the past, oh, God has, God has so many more important things to think about. And God, I think that is just completely and utterly false. Because God, you are infinite. You have all knowledge. 
And as such, you have all capacity. You tell us in the scripture, you know the number of hairs on our heads, which I cannot think of a more meaningless fact for a human to know. And yet you know it. You know when a sparrow falls to the ground and who, who cares? You care. So God, you care about us as we walk through each little thing every moment by moment. Whether it matters to anybody else or not, it matters to you. God, thank you that you care for us. That you walk with us. God, as we look at the scripture today, help us to, to maybe see a, a, an old familiar story in a new light. Lord, help me to share what it is you would have to share that I'd not stand in the way of the message you have for this church this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so we're doing this three-part series here on parables before we hit the good news of Easter. Um, And so I just thought we'd give a little review, and those of you who are new or weren't here last week, kind of a a quick flyover of exactly what parables are. What are parables? We hear that word and we don't necessarily think about it a lot. Well, it comes from, there's a a couple of root words in the Greek. Para, which means to come alongside or to compare. And balo, which means to see. So it's a story that comes alongside. It makes a comparison so that we can see a deeper truth. Right? And again, we used this phrase last week. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so Jesus taught in parables. Now, why did Jesus teach in parables? Why did Jesus use parables? And what we looked at last week was he actually answered that question right there in Matthew. And we talked about that. And it basically was this, for those who believe, for those who believe the truth about Jesus Christ, a parable is a way that wraps up truth into a memorable vehicle. We talked about that idea of um, some of us grew up in, in church and a lot of, we have a lot of kids who go back here and, and much of what is easy to teach in that and that we've learned is growing up is parables. And why? Because it's memorable. And even kids can understand. And so no one can make an excuse of, oh, well, God's truth was so deep and it was never packaged in some way that anyone, everyone could understand. No, it's... It's packaged in a way that's understandable. And so, for unbelievers, there is a prophecy. Isaiah said, you will be hearing but not understand. And so, God, Jesus uses parables in this simple way of communicating truth. And it proves people that their heart is hard and they don't want to hear it. And so, it fulfills the prophecy. And so when we think about parables and what Jesus was talking about there, we realize that there's a story, right? Every time you could look at a story and you can pull things out of the story. And then it's that, that parable, that coming alongside, there's another level. It says, ah, there is a, there's a spiritual truth here. But then what we're discovering as well is that there is an even deeper spiritual truth. But sometimes we might think Jesus is saying this, and he's probably saying that, but he's also really saying something deeper. And so last week we talked about the sower and the seed. We talked about the four types of soil and how we can think about other people in that way. But what we really need to be doing, what Jesus was really telling is that we need to be looking at our own lives and saying, what kind of soil am I? And that I can, I can have soil that, that here's the good news, but if I don't cultivate my spiritual habits and my spiritual disciplines and the way that I am living 
If I don't cultivate that, it's going to go to pot. It's going to have rocks. It's going to have weeds. It's going to get trampled down. And I'm not going to be having the right relationship with God that I need to have with him. So, that was last week we talked about the sower. This week we're going to talk about the Samaritan. Uh, who's ever heard of the Good Samaritan? Like everybody? <laughs> of course, right? And we hear this phrase used a lot. It's almost become sort of an idiomatic expression, right? In our language of, oh, that, that guy was a Good Samaritan, right? And there's, there's a hospital in town called Good Samaritan. And I think there's even like, isn't there like a network of campgrounds called Good Sam or something like that, right? It's, it's something that's just used, and, and I think we all kind of generally grasp that idea of, oh, it's somebody who does something good for somebody else, a traveler or something like that, right? So, well, that's probably true, but let's go right to the story um, found in Luke chapter 10. You're welcome to uh, open your Bible and follow along um, if you've got your, got your phone, got your Bible app on there, and then we'll also have it on the screen as well. So... Let's dive right into reading this. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? He was an expert of the law. How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right! Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with the story. And here's where we get the parable. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was the neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, now, yes, now go and do the same. So that's our parable. And so, like we did last week, we're going to ask it again. What is the story? What is the story of the Good Samaritan? Well, we can just start with sort of the practicals. Well, let's start with where it was, the setting it's on this road from Jerusalem to Jericho, which sounds like a nice Bible thing, but that route still exists today. I just looked it up on Google Earth, and here you can see, it might be kind of small print, the, uh, the one on the, in the, sort of the upper right corner, that's Jericho, and down in the lower left corner 
that is basically where the temple was in Jerusalem. And it's about 15 miles. So you could probably walk it in a day. It's basically about the distance from here to the terminal at DIA. Uh, And as you can see from this Google Earth picture, it's desert. And if it's desert today, you can be sure it was desert in the first century, right? And so it was a treacherous route, even though people traveled it a lot. Because it was desert and it was unpopulated, it was a place where bandits and robbers would hang out and try to knock people off and take their money. So this was sort of a common kind of story, a common kind of occurrence that would happen. So Jesus set the story in something that everyone could understand at that time. Then um, he talked about the priest. Now here's a picture of a priest. This is an actual photograph from the first century. No, I'm just kidding. A picture based on what they must have looked like. Now, who were the priests? Who were the priests? Well, the priests were the leaders of the Jewish religion at that time. They were like the head guys. They had studied a lot. They had basically devoted their life and had come to this place where they were leading the religion. They were the elite of the elite And so he was like the top dog. And you're like, ah, hey, look, there's someone hurt on the road. The top dog, he's going to stop and help him. Well, we all know the story. And what happens? He doesn't stop and help him. He passes by. Now, we could ask the question, why did he pass him by? And there's probably a number of theories. But I think what what seems to make sense to me was that as part of this religion, um, if, if you touched a dead body or if you dealt with somebody who had blood coming out of them or whatever, you became unclean. And that was a big deal as part of the Jewish religion of, of being clean or unclean. And so this guy was an elite and he'd risen to the top and he probably looked at this and said, wow, that's a need, but if I touch him, I'll get unclean. And if I get unclean, then I can't really perform my priestly duties up here at this elite level that I've come to. So I'm going to pass by him, make sure I don't get clean, and somebody else will come along who, who can really do the work can really get in there and get their hands dirty, right? So it was just too inconvenient and it was going to, he had this level of work to do and he wasn't going to stump down to this level. Well, fortunately then, as Jesus continues the story, the assistant shows up, who we also would know traditionally as a Levite. And these guys were the assistants in the temple. They were religious workers. So here was the priest and he says, Ah, that's something for the workers to do. And so now a worker shows up and it's like, surely the worker is going to stop and help this guy. But the worker doesn't stop and help him. Why? Well, Jesus doesn't say expressly, but we can probably infer from this that the worker was really busy. Because he had a lot of religious work to do. And this was not part of his daily schedule and his to-do list of things that he had to do on behalf of the religion. He said, I'm a staff, I'm hired, this is my job, this helping this guy is not my job. And so he turns and passes by, right? And so then we get to the Samaritan, right? And I didn't, it's really hard to find a picture of a Samaritan, <laughs> right? So who were the Samaritans? In that day and age, they were basically the most hated group of people by the Jews. And in some ways it was kind of strange because they were very closely related and followed a lot of the same sort of religious tenets that the Jews did. I was like, what would be sort of a 
a comparison for us. I don't know. Somebody was injured wearing a Patriots jersey or something. I, I couldn't really come up with something. That, that's probably the best I could do. But that's who they were, right? They were the most hated kind of people. It even says it right there in the passage. It says a despised Samaritan. They were despised by the Jews, right? And so Jesus draws this contrast, right? And he tells a story and he helps him and picks him up and cleans him up and takes him to the end and pays for him and, and does a, a really good deed there, right? And so this was really a common situation, People getting beat up by robbers and stuff. He didn't just like make something up. This wasn't some crazy reality television show that wasn't really reality. Like this is the real deal. Like this kind of thing happened and Jesus showed this. And when he said these things, people went like, what do you mean the priest didn't stop? They were like, of course the priest didn't stop. And of course the Levite didn't stop. And oh, why'd that guy stop? So it's this common story. It had kind of an uncommon result. And it was really reinforcing Jesus' message, which is that God looks at the heart. And so what is the meaning? What's the meaning of this story? There's sort of a classical meaning, and I think most of us probably, probably grasp that, but I thought I'd just encapsulate it here in a couple of points. The first kind of classical meaning of this story is that our neighbors, quote-unquote neighbors, are our fellow humans. And so I think there was a point here, and I think Jesus probably was communicating that because he said it elsewhere. If you go to Matthew 22, verses 36 to 40, Someone asked him, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus said this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Right? So Jesus taught that. It's kind of interesting when this expert of the law, back in our story in Luke there, the expert of the law shows up. And God says this, he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So it was right there in the law that this expert of the law who was questioning Jesus, it was right there in the law that he was an expert on. It said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. It said, there's nothing you can do. That's not God's economy. It was known. And so I think it's really interesting how Jesus answers this guy Right? He says, what should you do? And the guy says, well, here's what the law says. And Jesus says, do this and you will live. You want to do something? Do it. Here's what you do. It's not humanly possible. It's not humanly possible to, to obey that law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That is a tall order that none of us can do, right? Romans 3.23 says this, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does all mean? All. What's the Greek word for all? All. That's right. How much is all? All. You get the point. All have sinned. Nobody is excluded from sinning. Nobody can keep that law. None of us can keep that law. So the guy says, what should I do? And Jesus says, keep the law. Do this and you'll live. Nobody can do it. To do it means that you're not going to sin. And yet we know all of us have sinned. We know that from our own personal experience. And the expert knew this. And so he asked this question. He goes, hmm, who's my neighbor? 
Why did he ask that question? Who is my neighbor? I don't think it was because he was thinking about racial and ethnic and economic divides at all. I think he was doing it because he wanted to be justified. Because we can take that law and that big picture and we say, ah, if I can narrow things down and exclude things and I can get my hand on something. I can really get my hand on the do's and the don'ts. When we narrow our definitions, we get attainable results. Right? That's why we have rules for contests. Right? I've, that's another thing I've sort of been wrestling with this week. If you sort of are friends with me on Facebook, you've probably seen this, that my, my son is in this national contest. And there's rules for this national contest and I've asked people to vote and but the rules are kind of nebulous and I've kind of been really frustrated like I just want something I can grasp on so we have an attainable fair result and it's not there and it's really frustrating but that's how we operate as humans as we look at contests and we go we got to have rules that's why the NFL the National Football League has a rule book and it's like hundreds of pages thick and we get all mad at those referees in the black and white stripes. It's like, yeah, good luck. None of us could memorize that rule book. And they've got to memorize it and come out with it. But there's rules. Why are there rules? So that it's fair. So it's something that we can grasp onto. Who is my neighbor? If we can narrow that subset, then we can obey. But if we don't narrow the subset, which Jesus didn't narrow the subset can't grasp onto it. We can't obey. We can't do it. This is the flesh at work in all of us. Jesus says, love your neighbor. And I say, well, I can exclude that group of people from being my neighbors. I can exclude those people across the street who I've never seen before. I don't have to love them. Or I can exclude those people who have a, a different worldview or different politics than I do, then I can just love the people here and I can love those people. Look, God, I I obeyed. That's not what Jesus said. And I am so guilty of this. I'm so guilty because in doing this, I minimize what God is asking of me. Because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to reduce God to a set of do's and don'ts. I can do this and don't do that and do this and don't do that. And then on top of that, I say, okay, well, now I got my do's and don'ts. I want to take the do's and don'ts and shrink them down into something that I can actually do and don't. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus concludes the parable and he says, now go and do the same. So he said, go and do the impossible. Right? You want to work your way to God? You want to have salvation by the things you do, by being religious? Go for it. And it's not possible. Unless you have Christ. And why is it possible with Christ? It's possible for me to go and do the same because Christ has freed me. That's the whole point of salvation. We learned about that recently. Galatians 5.1 It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We are free to do good. We are free to have mercy. I need to stop seeing the world as religious do's and don'ts. I've got to stop seeing it that way. Because only in freedom can I be selflessly loving. Only by knowing God's mercy 
Can I be truly merciful? See, when we get into a religious mindset, and some of us, I know, come from a background of religion, and we've been very religious, and some of us come from a background of irreligion, and all of us come together, and it's really easy for us in our human nature to say, okay, I'm saved by grace through faith alone, and now what I got to do, and I got to make my list of do's and don'ts, and I'm going to live by that. And we turn into being religious. But when we do that, and I see somebody who needs mercy. But if I'm living in this way, I'm showing them mercy. Why? I'm showing them mercy for myself. So that then I feel like I'm getting closer to God because I'm in this do's and don'ts. And if I can check off the do box by showing mercy, it has nothing to do with that person. It has nothing to do with honoring God. It's all about myself. And that's what I think Jesus was trying to tell us here. He's trying to tell us that the pinnacle of religion is selfish. And I think it's no accident that in this story, the other two characters who don't stop are really religious people. They had made it. They checked off the do's and don'ts. And in checking it off, they had missed the freedom. They had missed the ability to show mercy the way God wants us to show mercy. And so the conclusion... I have when I read this story is that the story is is not simply about being merciful, right? I think colorblindness is so important. I think seeing everybody as our neighbor is really important. But if that's where we stop with the story, we miss it. We miss having the power. Where does the power come from to show the kind of mercy Jesus lays out in the story? comes from having a right relationship with God and recognizing that nothing I can do is going to get me any closer to God. We can't let our works justify us before God because they can't. The guy says, he wants to justify himself, who is my neighbor? He can't be justified by defining who his neighbor is. And so we have to let good flow from that salvation. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's for freedom out of that freedom of not having to do this, of not no longer having do's and don'ts. That's how I can be merciful. That's how I can be the good Samaritan. So next time you hear that, next time you hear someone say, oh, he was a good Samaritan, or they were a good Samaritan, or there's the good Samaritan, remember that. It's not about yeah, just doing good to somebody who doesn't look like you. It's about doing good and being merciful and showing love because Christ has showed that love to you. Let's pray. Yeah, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that is in it. God, I thank you that there is a gospel story that weaves through everything. God, I just think it's so amazing that you sent your son Jesus to the earth and he spoke in in simple, concise ways and words that have been recorded and passed on to us and they hold a timeless truth and a consistency, a consistency of a message, the good news that we are saved through grace, faith alone in Christ alone. And we see that right here in this story. God, thank you for... um, Thank you for wrapping up that truth in this story in a memorable vehicle that we can understand. God, help each one of us this week, Lord. Help me this week as I, as I 
I go through uh, the day-to-day things, and I look at my schedule, and I say, God, there's lots of things going on. I'm interacting with people. Lord, help me to be merciful and loving. Not because it's going to get me any closer to you. Not because it's going to change my standing with you. Not because I, I do and feel better about myself, or don't and feel bad about myself, or guilty. God, that's not how your economy works. Lord, help me to love and show mercy this week to others. Because you've shown it to me. God, I pray that you would express your love and your mercy to others through me, through each one of us this week. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.